find our sermon outline there in our bulletin. And let's open our Bibles to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, please, verses 13 through 23. Matthew 7, 13 through 23. You'll find that on page 1506 in that book rack Bible. I hope everyone's Bible is open. We want to look at Scripture today. This is an incredibly important text that we're going to look at today. So here we go. This is, a, this is an invitation of Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, at the end of every sermon, there should be an invitation. It's sort of the so what of the what. It's like, what do you do with all this? And Jesus is actually in this text going to invite people into the process of following him. All through the sermon, it's been about what, is, what do the kids of the kingdom look like and, and how do they act and what's their character and, and all of that. In the end, just like a beautiful teacher, leader, of his children, he says, now come on, let's go. He invites people in. And I'm just going to give you a heads up. This morning we're going to invite you to get in too. we got a big crowd here this morning. There's lots of people here. And there's some of us who have not made that step. We've not made the step of following Jesus. We've not opened our hearts, given our lives to Jesus. This is a Sunday for you. God brought you to this service with the intention of showing you his son, Jesus Christ. And he wants you to follow him. That's his desire and this morning you can open your heart and follow Christ too. So let's hop into the text and see what it has to say for us. Hold on to your hat. Here we go. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit, bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Wow. Now there's an invitation. It's an invitation with a warning. And actually all three of these segments are are strong warnings. They're a picture that we need to really discern. This is the word of God. This is the, the, the words of Jesus Christ himself. And if you were reading, you saw that the contrasts were made. They're, they come in couples, don't they? Uh, we find that there are two kinds of gates. There's a narrow gate and a wide gate. There's two roads upon which you go into that gate, you follow. The small gate leads to the narrow road. And then there's the wide road. And there are two destinations, one that leads to life, one that leads to destruction. And then we saw that there are two kinds of teachers. There are false teachers and good teachers. And Jesus compares them to fruit and trees. And he says there's two kinds of trees and two kinds of fruit. And then he says that there's two kinds of professing believers. Two kinds, the real ones and the pretenders. And I guess the whole bottom line of this message this morning is the Holy Spirit has to show us who we are in this text. We are one of those things in all of this text. You're either through the small gate or through the large gate. You are either on the narrow road or you are on the 
the wide, broad road. You are either on a pathway to destruction or you are on a pathway to life. You are either being influenced by false teachers or good teachers whose lives are mirrored by either fruit or no fruit. And there is either a truth to your profession of faith or there isn't. And the Holy Spirit must show us. So the Lord is here this morning. He wants to communicate to us through his word. And let's just start off, and I'm going to put these into uh, questions. These are questions that I think would be great to answer or ask of ourselves at any point in our life, young or old, fathers or mothers, maybe particularly fathers, being Father's Day today. I think there's some words here for fathers. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter whether you're a man or a woman, a father or a mother, whoever you are in life, these are three great questions to ask of yourself at any time. And here's the first one. Verses 13 and 14, I see a road here, and so I'm going to just call this the question of, am I on the right road? Are you on the right road today? It's terrible to be on the wrong road. Have you ever found yourself on the wrong road? It happens all the time for me. I'll be distracted driving down the road, and suddenly I come to the, you know, on a freeway, and there's, there's two ways to go, west or east, and I'm suddenly confused. I look at the places where I want to go, and I make a choice, and no sooner do I get past the place of no return, I realize I'm on the wrong road. That happens to you too. That's a frustrating experience, because then you got to turn around and come back around and get on the right road. Jesus wants us to think about this question for our lives today. Which road are we on? And it starts with a gate. It says a narrow gate and a broad gate. Uh, the, the authorized standard version uses the word straight gate, meaning it's singular, it's tightly fit. I went to the Giants game a few weeks ago. My daughter took me with her workplace, and we went over there. And they've got these giant entryways into the ballpark, AT&T. It's a great ballpark. But as you come up to the giant archways where the entrances are, there's these little turnstiles that you have to go through. And you have to go through one person at a time. They don't just let everybody through the gate. You have to come through each one at a time. You can't come in groups. You've got to come one at a time. And you've got to have a ticket to get in. They're very particular about having a ticket. No ticket, no enter. That's just the way it works. Jesus says, I want you to think about this, is that there are two pathways that every person on planet Earth is on. People are either on the broad way or they're on the narrow way. And it's the narrow way. The interesting thing about these two ways is that there's a, there's a destination in mind. The wide gate leading to the wide or the broad road leads to destruction. Jesus says, do you know where you're going? Are you aware of what's in front of you? You know, most of us now, we have these fancy GPS systems in our cars, at least one of our cars, we have a GPS system, and it's such a great tool, but not all the time. Sometimes I punch in an address, and I'm heading somewhere, and I just, I'm just trusting that guide. And as I'm going, I think, this doesn't seem right, and sure enough, once in a while, that GPS system, I don't know what it's doing, there must be like a demon in there or something. <laughs> It's telling me to turn right, and I know I should be going left, but okay, I'm turning right because maybe I don't know something, and then I'm going further down the wrong way. It's crazy. But some people just blindly trust the inner GPS of their system, so to speak, not knowing what's in front of them, not knowing what lies ahead. That could be you this morning. 
You could be thinking you're just kind of going through life, no big deal, choosing a career, raising a family, doing what you can, and you don't realize that when it comes to having a relationship with God, when it comes to the ultimate destination of where you're going to spend eternity, you haven't thought about it, you haven't even calculated in your mind what it means to be a part of that. You've just always assumed that because you're a good person, God's going to let you in. Jesus said, that's not the way it works. And some of us assume because we've got family that are believers, God's just going to let us in. That's not how it works. God doesn't have grandkids. God has kids. He's got sons and daughters, people who come and place their faith and trust in him. And did you notice that the ways are narrow? One way is narrow. One way is broad. Now, if we were just looking at this in an objective manner, I think most of us, if we looked at it objectively, we'd say, well, I would, choose the, I would choose the destination of life. Why would I want to go to destruction? Well, of course we would choose the destination of life. But the problem is the narrow gate isn't easy to find. Notice Jesus says, and few are those who find it, verse 14. So it's, it's not really all that obvious, first of all. The, the narrow gate's not an obvious gate. And the broad gate is, is really obvious. It goes with our thoughts. It goes with our inclinations. It goes with our, our desires. Everything seems to just come together for the, the wide gate. And a lot of us are kind of going down this path and we really don't know where, where it's all headed. Jesus wants you to know. If you're on the narrow path, you're leading to life. If you're on the broad path, you're leading to destruction. Now the great thing about the narrow path is it reminds us some of the nature of the Christian life. Jesus is not saying that you have to work really hard to get to heaven. What he's saying is if you've chosen the path that leads to heaven, you're going to have challenges in your life. Amen? We're going to have challenges. The narrow path, by its very nature, is difficult. It's challenging. And that's why most people, when they look over the fence at our lives and they see what a Christian is and how a Christian responds to life... Some of the folks back there in South Carolina and so forth on the news this week, people look over the fence and say, I don't know, that's a really hard life. I don't know if I could forgive somebody that killed my family member. I don't know if I could live a life of that kind of response to people who treated me wrong or whatever. But living the Christian life, there's a struggle that's involved. And if you're in that struggle today, here's the good news. The struggle probably points to the fact that you're on the narrow path. There's a sense in which you're, you're choosing to stay in a place that is not comfortable necessarily. And that's not because you're trying to work your way to heaven. That's not how it works. That's not the gospel. The gospel comes in this way. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel opens wide the door to anyone who would come, but few are those who find it. That's what Jesus is saying. It's interesting, as you study the Gospels, Christians weren't called Christians until you get to about Acts 15. You know that? Where they were called Christians, little Christ, Christ followers. Up until this point in the Gospels, typically the rendering is something like along the way of people of the way. And the reason why they were people of the way, or there was a sense of way, is because there was a, there was a path that people were on. And in fact, Jesus even used those words. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes unto the Father but through me. You see, when you recognize the call of the gospel, you recognize that it is very narrow and it is not easy to find. And Jesus says, look at your life right now. Examine what path you're on. 
Are you, have you come through the narrow gate, the turnstile of my grace, which says one person at a time comes by faith and gives their life to Jesus, upon which they enter a path that is fraught with, at times, difficulty and tribulation through many adversities, we enter the kingdom of heaven. Are we on that path or are we on the broad path that leads to destruction? It's an important, critical question. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I know some of us, when we hear this kind of thing, we say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This seems way too narrow. I mean, what about all these other, I get questions like this all the time. What about all the other religions of the world? How can we be so arrogant to say that it is Jesus and Jesus alone that saves? And for many people, this is just, it sounds too arrogant. It sounds prideful. And of course, when you start with the fact that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the Bible says no one is worthy, and it's not religion that saves anybody, but that God sends his son Jesus, it sounds arrogant to a world that wants pluralism, a culture that wants tolerance of everything and everybody, and says, it's just your opinion, it's my opinion is waged in the same weight as yours, and thanks, I'll take my chances, I'm just going to default to my own opinion, and Jesus says, be very careful. There are two gates, there are two roads, there are two destinations, you're on one or the other. That's huge. That is startling. And that doesn't fly in our culture at all. I mean, people think we're nuts when we humbly suggest that Jesus is the only way. What does the New Testament say about this? Is this just something that we're making up? Well, Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else. No other name but Jesus, the Bible says. This, is, this was the declaration of the apostles as they went out preaching from the upper room when they received the Holy Spirit. I went out preaching and teaching the word of God. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven but given to men by which we must be saved. No other name. We come over to uh, uh, 1 Timothy 2.5 where Paul writes to young Timothy and he says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. How many mediators? One. Not two, not a multiplicity, not religious gurus and leaders. Jesus says, or God says, there is one, my son, in whom I love. We're quite aware of the fact that this is politically incorrect, and yet we come week after week, I trust, we study the scripture, and we humbly come to the reality that God has offered life in his son, Jesus. And I, and I think many of us don't even imagine that we've chosen this road toward destruction, but it's the road actually of no other choice until God opens our eyes to see, help us see this narrow little gate where he is calling us to come through. Let me talk to, for a moment to dads who are here today. Dads, do you know that as you go, your family goes many times? I mean, statistics show that a, a man a godly man who follows the ways of God has a huge impact and, and influence on his family. Unlike any other relationship in the family. There's something about when a dad gets serious with Jesus Christ. And so that's why I think it's, this is a really perfect Sunday to open this text. Because I think dads, we can influence our, our initial generation, our next generation, and the generations that follow. You can follow through the courses of history where God has transformed a man and transformed his family, maybe not all family, certainly not all members of every family of a father that loves Jesus will follow Jesus. God is sovereign. He has his 
children. He has called his elect children. It's a mystery. I don't understand it. But statistically shows that when there's a godly man in a home, it influences not just that immediate family, but also the generations to come. It's funny, I didn't know this until I was a little older in life, but my grandfather was an itinerant preacher who loved Jesus, who raised his family uh, to follow Jesus. And as far as I know, all of those families, all of those family members came to know Christ. My dad was one of them, a great influence in my life. I look back even previous to that, family members that came over from Norway that had a relationship with God. I'm a part of a legacy of people who followed Jesus. There's a legacy that all of us leave in our relationship with Jesus Christ. The first question is, am I on the right road? Now, some of you dads might be thinking, or some of you just might be sitting here thinking, I didn't have a father. What does that mean for me? Well, let's take courage in Psalm 68, 5. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. That's awesome. So if we don't have a father today, God, our heavenly father, wants to be our father. And if you had a bad father, if your father wasn't faithful, wasn't godly, wasn't honoring, maybe is absent, maybe showed no interest in your life, there, God brought you to this service today to remind you that there is a, a father in heaven. You have a father in heaven that you can look to who can give you safety and security and love and peace and forgiveness. And he's waiting today. Which road are you on? Another question that I see in this text, verses 15 through 20, is are we listening or am I listening to the right people? This is a really important question. Because in verses 15 through 20, notice Jesus warns. He says, watch out for the false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. That means Jesus is saying that there are people around us who come off like we're going to help you. We've got something you need. This will encourage your life. But inwardly, there's a destructive force at work. Wow, that's crazy. That just really kind of stops me and recognize the, the battle that we're in. Where Jesus, in his exclusive claim to being the Christ, says that there will be those that will come after him that will make other claims that will detract and take away from his role of being the Christ in our lives. It's amazing. There are so many scams out there, aren't there? There are just scams everywhere. Just in the last couple of months, I've talked to two seniors in our congregation who got scammed by uh, somebody that pretended to be a relative, a young relative. They did the research. They had names. They presented themselves as this person. They were in dire need of money right now. They couldn't be sent any other way than by going to a telegraph office and wiring the money. Now, I know many of us, we would sniff that out in a heartbeat, but when you've got heartstrings as a grandparent or someone that cares about your kids, listen, there are people out there that know this, and they are crafting ways of taking what belongs to somebody else for themselves. I mean, that's a scary reality, isn't it? Uh, we woke up this past week, my wife and I, she just happened to go on our bank account and saw that somebody had hacked into, or something, hacked into uh, her debit card, and there were charges being made on our bank account. Yay, that was great, great way to start Monday. 
on the phone with the bank. What's going on? I don't get this. Oh, there are people all over the place working hard, smart people, intelligent people who come across in some way as wanting to help, but in the end are ferocious wolves. Happens the same way spiritually. You know, if you study the Old Testament, you find that the the enemies of God's people were not the armies of foreign nations. The enemies of God's people were the false prophets who came along and wooed God's people away from their love and devotion to Yahweh. Read the book of Jeremiah. It'll blow your mind how it was the false prophets that were the enemies of God's people. The New Testament says a lot about this. Take your Bibles. Go to the book of Jude. Almost all the way to the, the end of the New Testament. If you come to Revelation, you've come too far. Back it up a couple of places. Actually, Jude, right there. Jude, right at the end. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, and Revelation. Jude, small little book, but it's all about false teachers. And in verses 12 and 13, look at what it says. Speaking of false teachers, they... These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. It means they come among God's people. They smile and they have kind words and they eat at the love feasts. This could have been a picture of when the church gathered for communion. They celebrate. They look like they're shepherds, but they're feeding themselves. They're clouds without rain. They're blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead, Jude writes. They're wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Wow. You see, God looks at all of it and he says, oh yeah, people come across so sincere. Oh, we're going to help. Oh, we've got a teaching for you. Oh, we've got something that will, oh, it's not exactly the way you've been taught as a child. This is a new thing. This is way better. Religious systems that tout that, that uh, they've come along with a, a better system. It, it sort of uh, decries a, a favoritism uh, that, that God's people for millennia just didn't understand. And so introduce all the isms that our world runs after with abandon. And there's something in all of our hearts before God opens our eyes. Listen, there's something in all of our hearts that are somehow attracted to the wrong because in all of our hearts until God opens our eyes, we are rebellious to the king. We don't have a heart of love for God. God must open our hearts and give us a love for himself. And until that time, we are so open. Why are the religious systems of the world filled with people who are going through the ritual every single day in belief, sincere belief that they're on the right track? What road are we on? I love what it says about Jesus in John chapter 10. Jesus says about himself, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Do you know him? Do you sense this morning without question that this Jesus that we talk about, that we're listening to his words today, that you're in a relationship with him? Or is is this just a religious experience kind of along the lines of of self-help books at the bookstore where you can just kind of get a little bit here and there, a little bit of lift into your day, something that will help you relationally, something that will give you a little bit of a foot to stand on. Or do you know this Jesus? He says, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
Boy, you talk about everyone, including especially dads, show discernment as to who we allow to influence us spiritually. Jesus says, look at verse 16 and 20, by their fruit you will recognize them. You can look at their life and see whether they are real or not, Jesus said. Now, if we were to do a a more um, faithful study of what leaders look like, what godly shepherds look like in Scripture, I would point you to Ezekiel 34. I would point you to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I would point you to uh, Titus chapter 1 uh, and 1 Peter chapter 5. There would be many places we could look at, but I've just summed them up in some qualitative statements that I would like you to think about when you think about the people you allow to influence your life. Number one, and you don't have to write these down, but I'm just going to share them quickly. Do they reflect the humility of Jesus Christ? Do you see clear reverence for God? Is there obedience to the commands of Scripture and to the will of God? Is there moral purity? Is there a life being above reproach? Do they labor in scriptures to teach the scripture and to uh, call others to follow the scripture? Are they doctrinally sound? When they sin, do they repent and confess? Confess and repent. Are they real or do they pretend? Do they love people? Do they care for others? I mean, all of these things are marks of people that, that are real, and, and it's important to take a look, a close look. Um, now, if you followed me around for a week, you come live in my home, you drive everywhere I drive, you just hang out, just hang out with me for an entire week. I guarantee you at the end of the week, you say, oh, Pastor Larry's not perfect. <laughs> you might even say more than that on a few occasions. But I believe you would see real confession, repentance, All I'm saying is, yes, you can put the microscope on anybody and you'll find that they're not perfect. No one is perfect. But the question is, is what is the trajectory of your life? Where is your focus? Where is your passion? What are you really about? And you know, there are some of us here, some of us are struggling this morning and maybe right now we're just really confused because we're struggling with some sin in our life that we have not found victory over. And we've got a lot of self-doubt and we hear a message like this and, and we're thinking, gee, I must not be a Christian. And I want to be really careful right here because I think for some of us that are hearing that question in our hearts, that's a really good question and it may very well be the truth that you are not a Christian. You have a, a veneer. You've never really opened your heart and come in faith and, and chosen to follow this Jesus in a daily way. And so you're just sort of bungled up with stuff and and you're just into ritual. I don't know. But I know that there are some of us that are struggling and the struggle is sort of the point of the fact that we're on this narrow road and we're tripping at times and we, we stumble. We don't always have it down. We haven't arrived. So I don't know. If you're that person right now and you just feel like, wow, I don't know where I am, then, you know, you should follow the Scripture's admonition to test and see if you are a believer. Let, ask the Holy Spirit daily, show me, Lord, do I belong to you? There should be a struggle to come to that place of conviction that I believe in Jesus and I know he's my Lord. I know he's my Savior. And even though I've got issues in my life, I know in my heart that I want Jesus, I want his will, I want to follow him. And boy, if you can't, if that's not a settled conviction in your heart, then boy, you should be on a pathway today of really, really searching that out in your life. 
You should labor in that. You should pray on that. You should talk to brothers and sisters in Christ. It's great to wrestle with that. It's worth the wrestling. The last question, am I on the right road? Am I listening to the right people? The last question is, am I fooling myself spiritually? Now, this is where it comes down to some really powerful stuff because in verses 21 and following, Jesus says something that is just flat out should just stop us in our tracks. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. How many of you, how many of us have said Lord to Jesus? Anybody? I have. Okay, a few of you. Good. I would hope all of you, if you say you know Jesus, we've all said Lord. This is startling that Jesus said not everyone who says Lord. I guess there's people that can use the word Lord and really not follow. On one occasion in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? A Lord means Lord. <laughs> it means master. It means his choice over our choice. And so Jesus paints this picture that people will say on Judgment Day, verse 22, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name and your name drive out demons, perform many miracles? Wow, how does this work? I've had people say, how could someone that doesn't really know Jesus do these kinds of things? What I've learned and observed in my life is that God will do all kinds of things in spite of and in fact sometimes despite people who have some kind of claim. In other words, just the the scene of the, the manifestation of things does not necessarily mean that a person is actually connected to him because God is a sovereign God. He can do anything he wants to do, right? And he can work through anybody, even people who have not really claimed him as their Lord and Savior. He can still work through. If I grab the most pagan person in Castro Valley, and we're all, we're all equally sinners, but if I grab the person that just no shred of desire to follow Jesus at all. And I brought him up here and he read this text. You didn't know anything about him. I'd like so-and-so to come and read this text. And he read this text and went off the platform. The Holy Spirit could use this text to bring people to Christ through that guy. You could have a religious experience and be sharing something with somebody and God could use that, boom, and let that person come to know Christ while the person who shared it didn't even know Christ. They just had a religious experience. So don't get too hung up on the fact that there will be people saying, Lord, Lord, did not we do all these things? And Jesus is saying on that day, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You might, okay, some of you are like, wow, this is, man, I'm not sure I'm glad I came to church today. You're kind of freaking out right now. <laughs> well, I, I, hope, <laughs> I hope you are glad because for this one reason, Jesus outlines right here in this passage exactly who really belonged to him. Let me show you, verse 21, only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And the end of verse 23, depart from me, for I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So here's, here's who, who belongs to Jesus. Those who do the will of God, those who are committed to the will of God and do the will of God, and those who know Jesus. That's why I asked you a few minutes ago, do you know him? Not do you know about him not can you give Bible verses about him. Do you know him? You wake up in the morning thinking about him. You go through your day thinking. You're in a conversation with Jesus all through your day. You might blip out at times. I do too. But if you know him, my sheep 
know me and they hear my voice and they follow me. Jesus is speaking to us all day long if we're listening. Conversation keeps going. Lord, I don't know about this. Man, I don't know. That person, they drive me crazy. Lord, do you want me to love that person? Yes, Larry, I want you to love that person. Okay, Lord, I get it. I get it. People say that about me too. The point is, we, we're in this conversation all day long. You know him? You hear him? Don't deceive yourselves. And you say, well, what if I don't think I know him? I'm not committed to the will of God. What do I do? Here's the, here's the reality. You place your faith in him. He's inviting you. In fact, verse 13 is a command. Enter through the narrow gate. And if he would give you eyes to see this morning that that applies to you by faith and faith alone today, you can enter. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now.